Hello and welcome to Deer Tracks. It's great to have you back in my neck of the woods as we gather for another episode of the Deer Tracks podcast. This is episode four, and I'm James Kibbe, and this week we will be focusing on the poetry of one of the more controversial yet influential writers in American literature. Before we get to his work, I would like to thank you for tuning in this week and ask if you've enjoyed these episodes to leave a five-star rating and review. Most places offer some type of rating system, and that helps future listeners find the podcast. It takes less than a minute to do and helps us expand our reach. Also, don't forget to check out our blog site, DeerTracksPodcast.blog, for articles written by me as well as ones contributed by our guests. Right now, you can read posts from Evan Anstey and Olivia Haas, as well as my recent post about Autumn. You can also send me your creative work to be heard on a future episode by emailing james at DeerTracksPodcast.blog. Now, on to this week's show. As I mentioned before, for this episode, we are focusing on the work of one individual, one who has been a controversial figure in American literature. Depending on which literary critics you agreed with, you either found this man to be disturbed or distant, a genius or a hack. Wherever the critics have fallen throughout history, this one author's ghostly shadow has loomed quite large through the years and is credited with establishing the science fiction genre and the customary features and characters we have come to experience in detective stories. If you haven't been able to tell by the title of this episode, the gentleman I'm referring to is Edgar Allan Poe. Poe is better known for his stories such as The Telltale Heart, The Black Cat, The Fall of the House of Usher, and the murderers in the Rue Morgue, to name a few. But what you may not know is that Poe started out writing poetry. In fact, one of his most famous works is the poem titled The Raven. Maybe you have heard of that one. And if you haven't, then you will by the end of this episode. It's a great poem, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. But first, to get our mind adjusted to the world of Edgar Allan Poe, we're going to start with his poem titled The Conqueror Worm. The perspective in this poem is from the outside looking in, as the angels watch the tragedy of man unfold. There is a reference to invisible or formless players who act as puppeteers, directing the affairs of men and causing great evil upon the earth. These invisible players could be demons as the imagery of condor wings suggests, condor being another name for vulture, so preying upon unsuspecting humans. As the angels watch on in horror, an unlikely hero emerges, the worm. This, I believe, is a reference to death. Death is the unlikely hero because death cuts short the horrors and atrocities that plague mankind. If you're familiar with the Genesis account of the fall of mankind, God blocks access to the tree of life, fearing what would happen if mankind possessed the ability to live forever in their fallen state. In a strange way, death is a means of justice. Hence our hero... The Conqueror, Worm.
Lo, tis a gala night within the lonesome latter years. An angel throng bewinged bedight in veils and drowned in tears sit in a theatre to see a play of hopes and fears while the orchestra breathes fitfully the music of the spheres. Mimes in the form of God on high mutter and mumble low and hither and thither fly mere puppets they who come and go at bidding of vast formless things that shift the scenery to and fro flapping from out their condor wings invisible woe that motley drama oh be sure it shall not be forgot with its phantom chased for evermore by a crowd that sees it not through a circle that ever returneth in to the self-same spot and much of madness and more of sin and horror the soul of the plot but see amid the mimic rout a crawling shape intrude a blood-red thing that writhes from out the scenic solitude it writhes it writhes with mortal pangs the mimes become its food and seraphs sob at vermin fangs and human gore imbued out out are the lights out all and over each quivering form the curtain of funeral pall comes down with the rush of a storm while the angels all pallid and wan uprising unveiling unfirm that the play is the tragedy man and its hero the conqueror worm that was the conqueror worm by edgar allan poe a couple of times around this time of year my wife and i have participated in local ghost tours one of them was last year for our anniversary where we did a ghost tour of the underground tunnels that are part of the erie canal i know probably a weird thing to do for your anniversary but we were both excited we didn't see any ghosts but to hear the stories of workers who died in the process of digging the tunnels especially those involving murder while standing in that place was fascinating Haunted places like old buildings, houses, cemeteries, or old tunnels capture our imagination and maybe tempt some of us to even enter these places with the hope of seeing a ghost. Often the story of these places is tragic and the paranormal activity peculiar. We see this in our next poem from Poe titled The Haunted Palace. Through the story of the Haunted Palace, an underlying tragedy takes place, that being the snuffing out of the romantic possibly by a grave, more modern world, one where we laugh, but smile no more. In the greenest of our valleys, by good angels tenanted, once a fair and stately palace, radiant palace reared its head, in the monarch thought's dominion it stood there, never seraph spread opinion over fabric half so fair. Banners yellow, glorious, golden, on its roof did float and flow, this, all this, was in the olden time long ago, and every gentle air that dallied in that sweet day, along the ramparts plumed and pallid, a winged odor went away. Wanderers in that happy valley through two luminous windows saw spirits moving musically to a lute's well-tuned law, round about a throne were sitting poor Farajani, in state his glory well-befitting, the ruler of the realm was seen and all with pearl and ruby glowing was the fair palace door through which came flowing 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 and sparkling evermore a troop of echoes whose sweet duty was but to sing and voices of surpassing beauty the wit and wisdom of their king but evil things in robes of sorrow assailed the monarch's high estate ah let us mourn for never morrow shall dawn upon him desolate and round about his home the glory that blushed and bloomed, 
is but a dim-remembered story of the old time entombed. And travelers now within that valley, through the red-litten windows see, vast forms that move fantastically to a discordant melody, while, like a ghastly rapid river, through the pale door, a hideous throng rush out forever, and laugh, but smile no more. Before we move on to our next poem, I wanted to share this quote from Herbert Marshall McLuhan. It's from his essay titled, Edgar Poe's Tradition. Here is what he said. While the New England dons primly turned the pages of Plato and Buddha beside a tea cozy, and while Browning and Tennyson were creating a parochial fog for the English mind to relax in, Poe never lost contact with the terrible pathos of his time. Covalli with Baudelaire, and long before Conrad and Eliot, he explored the heart of darkness. We shouldn't be so quick to take works of horror and science fiction simply at face value. It's within these genres that some of the darkest parts of humanity can be fleshed out and exposed for what they truly are. If there is something we can learn from a movie like Steven Spielberg's classic Jaws, it's that it's not what's on or above the surface, but what's below that is most terrifying. This inner exploration is where we find ourselves in this next poem titled Alone. Maybe you have felt like you were standing on the red cliff of a mountain, distant from others and capable of fitting in with those around you. Maybe it's not for lack of trying. Maybe it's because something always seemed to be standing in the way. This is a lonely place, but don't worry. You've got company today, and his name is Edgar Allan Poe. Here is the poem. From childhood's hour I have not been, as others were I have not seen, as others saw I could not bring, my passions from a common spring, from the same source I have not taken, my sorrow I could not awaken, my heart to joy at the same tone, and all I loved I loved alone. Then in my childhood, in the dawn of a most stormy life, was drawn from every depth of good and ill, the mystery which binds me still, from the torrent o'er the fountain, from the red cliff of the mountain, from the sun that round me rolled in its autumn tint of gold, from the lightning in the sky as it passed me flying by, from the thunder and the storm, and the cloud that took the form when the rest of heaven was blue of a demon in my view. To introduce our last poem, I wanted to share another quote, and this comes from Charles Baudelaire. It is indeed the poem of the sleeplessness of despair. It lacks nothing, neither the fever of ideas, nor the violence of colors, nor sickly reasoning, nor driveling terror, nor even the bizarre gaiety of suffering, which makes it more terrible. The poem Baudelaire is referring to is The Raven. This is one of Poe's well-known works if not the most well-known. Even if you're not into American literature, 
If I were to ask you to finish this line, quote the raven, you probably could finish it. Now, if you couldn't, the rest of the line is, nevermore. I don't want to say too much more about this poem or my thoughts on it because I don't want to take anything away from the poem or feel like I'm taking anything away from the poem. However, in spite of the serious nature of the poem, I do want to say that the meter and rhyme scheme make this a fun poem to read out loud, though it is also a little challenging, but mostly a fun one to read out loud, and I encourage you to read it out loud for yourself. I think you might enjoy, like I said, the rhyme scheme and the meter of this poem. And I hope you enjoy my presentation of it. And again, this is a truly American classic, and I'm honored to share it with you. And here it is. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. Tis some visitor, I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. Only this and nothing more. Ah, distinctly I remember it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow, vainly I had sought to borrow from my book surcease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, nameless here forevermore. And the silken, sad, uncertain wrestling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before. So that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating, "'Tis some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, "'some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door. "'This it is, and nothing more. "'Presently my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer. "'Sir,' said I, or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore. "'But the fact is I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, "'and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, "'that I scarce was sure I heard you.' Here I opened wide the door, darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering long I stood there wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore? This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore, merely this, and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning, soon again I heard a tapping somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely that is something at my window lattice. Let me see, then, what thereat is, and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment, and this mystery explore. Tis the wind, and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter, when with many a flirt and flutter, in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, but with mine of lord or lady perched above my chamber door, perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat and nothing more. Then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore. Though thy crest be shorn and shaven, thou, I said, art sure no craven, Ghastly, grim, and ancient raven, wandering from the nightly shore. Tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's plutonian shore. Quote the raven, nevermore. Much I marveled this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little relevancy bore. For we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door. 
bird or beast upon the sculptured bust above his chamber door, with such name as Nevermore. But the raven sitting lonely on that placid bust spoke only that one word as if his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing farther than he uttered, not a feather than he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered, other friends have flown before. On the morrow he will leave me, as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, Nevermore. Startled at the stillness broken, by reply so aptly spoken, Doubtless, said I, what it utters is its only stock and store. Caught from some unhappy master whom unmerciful disaster Followed fast and followed faster till his songs one burden bore, Till the dirges of his hope that melancholy burden bore, Of never, never more. But the raven still beguiling all my fancy into smiling, straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of bird and bust and door. Then upon the velvet sinking I betook myself to linking, fancy unto fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of lore meant in croaking, nevermore. This I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing, To the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining, with my head at ease reclining, On the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er, But whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating o'er, She shall press, ah, nevermore. Then methought the air grew denser, perfumed from an unseen censer, swung by seraph whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch, I cried, thy God hath lent thee, by these angels he hath sent thee, respite, respite, and nepenthe from thy memories of Lenore. Quaff, O oh, quaff, this kind nepenthe, and forget this lost Lenore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore, desolate yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, tell me truly, I implore, is there, is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, by that heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore, tell this soul with sorrow laden, if within the distant Aden, it shall clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels name Lenore, clasp a rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, quote the raven, nevermore. Be that word our sign of parting, bird or fiend, I shrieked, upstarting, Get thee back into the tempest and the night's plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as a token of that lie thy soul hath spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak from out my heart and take thy form from off my door. Quote the raven, nevermore. And the raven never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting. On the pallid bust of Pallas, just above my chamber door. And his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming, And the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the door, And my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor Shall be lifted nevermore. Thank you for joining me here on the Deer Tracks podcast. 
I look forward to having you back again next week as we enjoy some more poetry from some of the great poets of the past. We will also have more interviews coming up, so be on the lookout for that. And the best way you can keep up with the Deer Tracks podcast is to subscribe wherever you are listening to it right now. You can also head over to our blog site, deertrackspodcast.blog, and enter your email to receive an update every time we post an episode or an article. We've got some great content over there for you, and the address again is deertrackspodcast.blog, so go check it out. Well, until our paths cross again, this is James Kibbe saying, take care, and see you next time on the Deer Tracks Podcast. <laughs>